Welcome to Make a Yacht News Radio, the first and longest running podcast series dedicated to the large yacht industry. Hosted by Diane Byrne, the editor of MegaYachtNews.com, we feature conversations with engaging and inspiring people in yachting, from shipyard CEOs to designers, from yacht managers to young entrepreneurs, and yes, even owners. You'll learn how they got into yachting, how they're building better businesses, and especially how they're helping people like you Get more enjoyment out of the yachting lifestyle. Welcome, everyone. In all the years that I have spent covering yachting, I have had the pleasure of meeting and speaking with a number of talented designers. Though I try to remain impartial, it's a little hard to do that when you truly enjoy every conversation you have with particular people. And for me, those people include today's guest, Patrick Knowles. With more than three decades of experience designing yachts, Patrick has collaborated with all of the major American shipyards, like Burger Boat Company and Delta Marine, as well as leading international builders like FedShip. As much as he is a talented professional and heads a terrific team of designers, though, what I appreciate the most about Patrick is that I always learn something new after speaking with him. So what I'm really looking forward to today, and certainly you all will appreciate as well, is hearing his take on a pretty simple yet also pretty complex question. That being, what do yacht owners want? And with that, Patrick, welcome to Mega Yacht News Radio. How are you today? I am doing well, Diane, and my uh, sentiments are exactly the same. It's a joy knowing you over the years. And here it is. We have another wonderful opportunity to uh, interact with each other. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. And thank you for the kind words. I appreciate them. So, like I said, you and I have known each other and spoken to each other many, many times over the years. So I am very familiar with your background, but there are people listening who maybe are not so familiar. So for their benefit, how did you get into design, first of all, and how did you get into yacht design? Well, um, I would say that I've always been in design. And when I say that, when I think about being a kid, I always had a fascination with everything that involved design, whether that was cars, boats, planes, uh, buildings, all of it. And, you know, looking back on it now, I, I do identify and understand what captivated me so much as a child. I didn't know what it was. Scale, composition, uh, things that are key to designers today and things like proportion. You know, what does a kid know about proportion? But all of these things, I remember going to the marina with my dad. He was a fisherman, and I would see all of the boats that would come in, and I would be analyzing the looks of all these boats. I didn't know the difference between a yacht and a uh, sport fish boat and a cabin cruise and that sort of thing. But as a child, I was able to see the difference and analyze them. I just didn't know them by name. So as far as how, what, how long have I been in design or how long have I been interested, from the earliest years that I could remember. Now... How did I get into yachting? That's that's a little bit of a segue. Uh, not too far. One of my brothers, I have six brothers, and one of them uh, introduced me uh, to an, an acquaintance of his who actually uh, was involved. He, he was a German national, and he was involved with an American yacht design company. 
And I was working uh, in the U.S. I was working in a mill, mill shop at that time and really didn't like my job that much. And my big brother asked me, how's it going? And uh, I told him that I wasn't too happy. And he says, make this phone call. I did. And I was hired the next day. So the rest is history. Amazing. So working with design and identifying forms, shapes, et cetera, is one thing. Working with people is quite a different thing when they bring their own ideas to the table. And sometimes they can't even maybe um, voice what's in their head. So what do you enjoy the most about working with your yachting clients? Well, um, it's it's pretty sim- simple. I enjoy the element of the excitement. You know, keeping in mind that for an individual who gets to the point in their life that uh, they're able to acquire something like a yacht, uh, as a pleasure uh, possession, uh, there's so much ex- excitement wrapped up in it, especially if it's a new owner, meaning they've never owned a, a yacht before. Maybe they've, they've stepped up to a much larger yacht. That, um, that excitement is palpable, and we actually treat that like a wave and we ride it as much as we can. And, and as you said in your question, or mentioned in your question, that they cannot express or articulate we love it. You know, our job is to listen to them, read them, and weave this uh, material, this this tangible uh, thing that is residing in a very incomprehensible way in their mind and bringing that to life, putting it on paper, building it, formulating it. Uh, those are very exciting steps along the way. So I would say the element of excitement is my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, you just said something that is the the perfect setup for something else I wanted to ask you. You said that it's very important to listen to them, especially when they can't articulate necessarily what's what's in their mind and basically extract the, you know, the concept from there. Every company in this industry talks about that whole concept of putting the owner at the center of what they do. And I find that oftentimes the statements from companies tend to focus on the companies themselves rather than the owners and what the owners actually want. Even if it's an inadvertent um, step, that that's really what it ends up being. So if you were to sum up in one word what owners want, what is it? Wow. That's a huge statement to uh, to, to water <laughs> down into one word, but um, you know, I I would have to say it's probably commitment, hmm. and commitment is a huge word. We're all familiar with it, and uh, commitment in in many aspects of life. If you don't commit to it, you don't make the commitment, then things really aren't going to come together as well as they should had there been commitment. And when you think about being committed to a project, that commitment will automatically check all the other important boxes, such as satisfaction, good service, loyalty to the client's need, attentiveness, all of these things that clients, um, that, that are important uh, to clients. So I would settle on that one word for that huge statement. I would say it's commitment. For me, it would be commitment. You know, it's a good word because it does sum up a lot of the other elements of working with someone. It's yes. it's letting them know, first and foremost, that you want to make sure they're happy, that they're heard, right, that yes. their ideas matter, 
Um, yes. and those are the, those are basic human needs as, essentially, but it's really important, I think, in what the yachting industry does in this pledge that we make that we're making their dreams come true. Yes, yes, and hearing a client is very critical, um, and and listening to them, you know, especially when design takes on trends, and trends can become um, they can become so captivating that we. We buy into trends in the moment, and sometimes we look back and we think, "Wow, you know, I bought into that." And and sometimes trends can be um, so momentary. So for us, um, listening to the client, because if the client is desiring something that's contrary to a trend, we as designers we need to keep our foot in to be able to to weather them and to guide them through the power that we as designers are being shown a trend in a direction in design and in an industry. And that's not for everyone. And I think for the client to to speak and to be heard and to feel that they are being listened to is monumental. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So when it comes to how you and your team are putting this commitment that the owners want into practice, um, what is it that you do? What's the first thing that you do? Kind of paint a picture for us as if we were the clients sitting down with you. What would you do with your team at at, me, at meeting number one? Okay. Well, first of all, remain objective. Uh, we we have to be. Uh, we must not allow. And I know that this is really um, it, it's a simple statement, but it's it's real. And it's very influential in the sense that as creatures of habit and of comfort, we tend to seek what is most comfortable and that is most captivating for us as individuals. So when we meet a stranger and the stranger to us who is now our new client, happily so, um, they are indeed strangers and they are expressing desires and wants and needs in their personal environment that can be quite polar to what our comfort level is and and to what our expectations are. So mostly we must remain objective so that we can hear without bias what the owner is asking us to do. That's number one. Uh, To me, if we do not afford that or hurdle it, uh, we are only going to be on an uphill battle uh, throughout the project. So that's first and foremost. That's the first thing that we do. And um, we have to put our wants and personal desires aside. Um, As designers, we shouldn't design for ourselves. Uh, It really is for the client. And then we follow that up with what we have as an internal process. It's called a CI list, a critical items list, and it's a database. And we're very um, attentive uh, with taking copious notes and following that up with detailed minutes not only in writing, but pictorial as well, to reflect or to, to send that back to the owner and say, am I understanding you? If I'm not, make comment on each line item where I misunderstood you. And uh, that works wonders for us. And in every meeting that we have with every client, in every set of minutes that we produce, whether it's information that we receive through those two conduits or a phone call or an email or a text, Anything that comes out of the client's mouth that is a directive goes into that CI database, and it's numbered and dated. And I'll give you an example. 
long time ago, uh, we had a client that had made a request uh, early on in the project. And this was early in my career, and this is actually what started the CI or the Critical Items Database. And I thought, how am I going to remember that? This project is almost three years old, and I battled with that. I had to post it on my screen. I had it on my refrigerator. I had it everywhere because I didn't have the process of what to do with that information. So now we have the process. And it's amazing when a client makes a specific, very specific request up front, and they may only say it once in an interview, maybe even say it sideways, and we catch it. And at delivery or later in the project, they're stunned like, Wow, how did you know that? Well, you said it. Did I really? And, you know, all of that just, it just builds on the client relationship. But we are, am a stickler for documentation and recording everything that is said and making sure that we keep it in its proper sequence because we love the element of not surprising the client, but pleasing them in a profound way when we deliver on something that they said that they themselves have forgotten. Right, right. You know, it's interesting because that list, I, I'm, as, you, as you're sitting here describing it, I was thinking, holy cow, that could be, and probably is for each project, one insanely long list. It's a it, lot of information because it, you're recording every request, every thought. Does, you know, when they say they like a certain color, they like certain shapes, they like certain... Cars, for example, if you know maybe that's the reference point for the design that they like, whatever it is, that's a lot of information, and that could be information overload. But it, it it's keeping you on track. Yeah, it, it is, and it could be information overload, and that's what it was doing. And I gave you that example of that one request, and I'm thinking, I have to remember this for like two years. So there were, I had stickers everywhere, and, and it was exhausting. I had nowhere to put it. And as the request came, it did become overloaded until I figured out I need to develop some sort of mechanism. Again, I was new in my design firm. It's specific for us. It works for us. And, um, yeah, it's it's very important. One One project in particular, I don't know if it's the longest, but I do specifically remember it was project P144. I'm now on project number P356. Um, that project had over 1,900 CI items. Wow. I know. I know. Wow. It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> and we, but we checked them off, and the project was close to four years long, and we checked them off. So. Mm, amazing. Yeah, that's, that's one of the ways of keeping our internal sanity. It, you know, it does make sense, too, because like you were saying before, it's important to avoid your own internal bias. And I've seen, unfortunately, some situations where whether it's a designer or maybe it's a shipyard that has a, a semi-custom project, an owner will come forward and say that they like it and there are certain things that they want to do differently, but either they're not being fully listened to or perhaps the the you know the other party whether it's the designer or the shipyard isn't quite thinking that they're saying what they're thinking and they say oh yeah, yeah no they don't really want that they actually want this instead the way the way that we've done things for the previous six projects or what have you so they end up making a mistake of assumption and the client isn't really happy but they can't really articulate why so these checklists essentially what you're creating of every comment every request every conversation eliminates that 
no, 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 that's not what they meant. Because you can look back at it and say, no, actually, they didn't say if they wanted that. <laughs> so you could actually yeah. dive into it a little bit more, even if there's a question in your head. It's like, do they really want to do this? You could actually go to them and say, you know, you mentioned this. Let's talk about it a little bit more. Tell me what you mean. Tell me what your thoughts are. Yes. And then you can get to the bottom of it. Yes, yes. That's exactly how it works. It's it's organic. It evolves. And sometimes clients make requests um, and later on in the project, because we always memorialize the list, right? Whenever we have a, a client meeting, actually after this, I have a Zone client meeting on my new 50 meter. We sent the agenda. The agenda is driven by the CI list. So it, and when it's appropriate, we memorialize certain items on the list when it's time. And um, inevitably, uh, there are some requests that are made that the client goes, yes, I remember saying that, but, you know, things have changed a little bit. Scrap that or maybe do it this way. Um, what it does is that it keeps it on their dashboard, but it also keeps it relevant because we're not freezing it in time. Two years ago, when your boat is delivered two years later, it, it's, it's something that becomes a part of the dialogue, a part of the agenda system. We, we always memorialize every item on the CI list at some point. And so it gives the owner that time to reflect and, and things change in life. Uh, person, mm -hmm. Personal preferences change. And, uh, but it's a wonderful thing to see how even the client evolves in their expectation of what their desire is for a boat. And, you know, some of them, my longest project was seven years. You could have a lot of personal um, preference changes in that time period. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Lifestyle changes taste changes, a, a lot yes. of different things. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes it does. So let, let's talk about that a little bit more, This um, the way that you're working with the clients over such a long period of time. Obviously, not all your projects are seven years long, but uh, uh, the, the projects are extensive. So you earn a lot of trust from them in the working relationship. And as I understand it, that level of trust actually can go beyond the, the so-called walls of the yacht into other aspects of their lives. So how has that trust kind of translated into other parts of the owner's worlds? Well, um, that, uh, that's, that's a good question. I would say for to start building on that trust, I would say the foundation of it is reputation. Like the other one answer word uh, that you had asked me in a previous question. I would say that the one answer word in the foundation of the answer is reputation. Um, having a good track record, uh, having a reputation of being fair, honest, reliable, um, and also empathetic. And that sounds strange to put in this arena, empathy in a conference room. You know, that the, the two normally don't go together. But empathy really is important, and I have come to learn that over the years. And to put that in perspective, when you have someone who has a, a, a relatively or a, a massive amount of wealth, you know, everything is relative, and every, every person has personal thresholds and limitations, and everyone has financial uh, thresholds and limitations as well. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. Um, engaging and building a yacht is not the sum of your entire wealth. That wealth may be committed to other obligations. 
So we have to be empathetic when we deal with the owner. We're designing something and it's coming out of budget or maybe it's a little bit too expensive. And um, the bill or the proposal could be a little bit intense for the owner. I try to put myself there as 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 diametrically opposed as that is. I try to put myself in their their position and um, and empathize and see what I could do uh, to help. It's a huge financial um, undertaken. And to, to answer your question directly as to how can that translate out of the walls of the uh, the yacht or in other aspects of their life. You know, as a yacht designer, my, my origins in design, uh, part of it is in aviation. And uh, I've gone through a lot of sectors of design, commercial, um, hospitality, uh, motor coach, and I settled on yachting. I really liked yachting. But beyond the walls of the yacht, um, that's when you begin to see where it has affected the owner because they begin to request you to help them out of the, the arena of the marine industry, out of the arena of designing a yacht. Maybe it becomes a home. Maybe it becomes their personal office. Maybe it becomes their aircraft. And that um, is, to me, how that, that trust uh, extends beyond the walls of the yacht. They begin to entrust you with even more um, of their their assets and 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 uh, investments. And one quick note is, you know, one of the other joys of working with a yacht is that it's not a primary residence. When you design somebody's primary residence, you're designing the environment that they spend most of their time in. So the approach to it is very different. The demand of it is very different. And the emotion of it is very different. Whereas a yacht, you know, it's a little bit different. And when you get to the point to where they've, you've gained their trust, and now they begin to invite you into their even more um, intimate and, and private environments, um, now you know that, that you've done well to instill a trust uh, in them. But it's, it's based upon reputation. The foundation of it is reputation and all of those other things that I had said as far as a good reputation, reliable, honest, empathetic, that sort of thing. Sorry for the long answer. No, no, not at all. It's good. It, like I said in the intro, I always learn something new from you. So this is this is terrific. So one last question for you. you know, we've talked a lot about what I would consider the more experienced clients, people who've had a, a history of yachting. Um, Let's talk as at the end of our conversation about people coming into yachting. Mm-hmm. There are a, a nice number of people who are stepping into this end of the of the world, the eighty foot plus world, for the first time. Um, they're certainly a lot different from clients from ten years ago, twenty years ago, even you could argue, I would say, five years ago. So, what advice would you give to someone in this new generation who's taking their first step? into yacht ownership? Um, I know that's a long... <laughs> that could be a yeah, long it's, thing it, too, it, but... it, it is, but I, I have I've heard all of your words. And, you know, there are so many things you can impart uh, to someone who's new at something when you've been doing it for 30-plus years. It's like, where do you start, right? Um, I, I would say probably the most valuable advice that I would be able to give them Uh, is to do research and to be realistic. Um, 
Time and money are key components in Yadin. And having a balanced and realistic view of them both will serve an owner well in having an enjoyable project. And, you know, we, your question is steeped not in the traditional well-seasoned long owner uh, or, or long-term owner of yachts, maybe he's owned six, seven, eight, ten of them. We're talking about the ones who are new, right? So it's a little bit of a, a different perspective. And um, when we think about um, being realistic uh, with time and money, you know, particularly it's more about time than it is with money. And, you know, society and commerce has gotten to the point to where the time really is more valuable than the money. It always has been, but really to, an, to a, a, a skewed capacity. And um, the money factor will always be there, but the time factor is really what it is. They, they want it now, uh, and sometimes that could be unrealistic. So when you have someone coming into the industry that's new uh, to do the research and to understand that maybe what they're, they're asking is a one-year project as opposed to a three-month project, and going into a one-year project with the mentality or the objective that you're going to get this in three months, it's not going to be happy or an enjoyable experience for anyone. So being realistic helps the, the, the new owner to be able to chart a very enjoyable experience. We've had many, many, many enjoyable experiences. I've had many clients who've come back repeatedly. Uh, my longest-term client who passed away um, in 2020 uh, we've done like 35, 36 projects together. And you know him well. Uh, you've, you've been on his boat and you've dined at his table. And, you know, wonderful, wonderful. He was my Thurston Howell III. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of the joy that can come from being realistic and from um, doing research. So the new yacht owners today could look back on their yachting ownership career and count the many of yachts that they've had with joy. It's very expensive, it's a heavy lift, but with joy. And the best way to gain that joy is through research and just keeping a realistic mentality. Very well said, absolutely. Could not have said it any better Thank myself. You. Patrick, it has been an absolute pleasure catching up with you and having you weigh in on what is really crucial to owners, what really is at the center of everything that they're doing in terms of commissioning and using their yachts, and how the relationships should develop. Like I said in the intro and even a couple minutes ago, I always learned something new with you, and I was sitting here writing a whole bunch of notes. <laughs> Diane, that's, that's how it's been. It's been symbiotic, and I thank you so very much uh, for being a part of this. Oh, thank you. Thanks for being here. Everybody, to learn more about Patrick and his team, you can visit the website, which is patrickknowlesdesign.com. Oh, sorry, patrickknowlesdesigns, plural, right, <laughs> I <laughs> almost forgot that S. That's crucial. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, I'm Diane Byrne. That wraps up this episode of Mega Yacht News Radio. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please share the word on social media. And subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. 
And, of course, to learn more about what's going on in the world of large yacht cruising, new construction, and design, check out our daily updated website, the award-winning MegaYachtNews.com. 